Well, I missed last week's uh, session, had to be out, but I'm sure looking forward to having Scott with us again today and to carry on and uh, look forward to your message. Last week we started talking about John Wesley and John Wesley's what we call in the Methodist Church the three general rules, right? It's kind of a big name, but but basically what was going on that we were talking about was as as John Wesley began to go out and to share how he had experienced God's grace, how he had experienced God's working in his life and that there was more to it than than kind of the rote uh, uh perfunctory uh, faith of the day. I mean, so, so at this point in the 1700s in England, um, the church was a state church and, and you got born and you got baptized and the state put a stamp on you and said, you're a member of the church, you're a Christian, you're good. And people sort of said, that's good enough for me and didn't really participate. And Wesley knew that there was more to it and, and began to feel that. And as he went along, people began to come to him and, and say, help us to get some of what you've got. And he began to, to form classes and classes into bands and bands into societies, small groups, right? Accountability groups where they had, had a tight relationship between a dozen or so folks. And then, so the question began to rise, well, who can come join and be a part of us? And there's where, where he said, you know, whomever it is, is seeking to, to become a Christian, who is, whoever is seeking this, this grace that God gives us, Whoever is looking for that new relationship with Christ, and that that as a part of one of these groups, will see fruits of this in their behavior and in their life. So this is kind of where we began. We started talking about what does that mean? How? Why? Why do we need these instructions to start with? Well, we need instructions because we've seen over and over in scriptures how, given rules, we begin seeing how close to the rules we can step without going over the line. So we need to find a way to, to make this a part of us rather than a set of boundaries and rules. We need direction, not not a line on a map, right? <clears throat> that kind of makes me think of, this drives my wife crazy. When her parents will come visit, we'll go for a drive, we'll drive around, you know, we'll be out somewhere and, and, and we'll know when we're going to get home and we'll know general direction, right? And I'll be driving around and her mom's like, oh, it's just so amazing how well you know your way around. And she's like, my wife is like, you are so lost. You have no idea where you are. <laughs> you don't have the faint. I said, no, but I know where I'm headed, right? And I kind of got that idea of the general direction. And I'm going to end up where the right place is. I just might not go the same way every time. This is something I learned from my dad. It's like, if you go and come the same direction, then you've done something wrong, right? you got to go and explore. But the fact that we end up where we intended, because we had the general direction in mind, is what Wesley had in mind, right? It, faith doesn't look the same for every person, but there were some basic things that he was he was looking at, and it was really based in in what Jesus taught. You know, Jesus tells us that the great commandment is, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself." It's interesting that that if you follow the lectionary, the lectionary we've talked about that I think in the past, where it's essentially the readings that are are used throughout much of the church. The lectionary reading for this week is the Good Samaritan, which falls exactly in with who's my neighbor and how do I treat them is really a, a sort of a second level of, of what this says, right? It's, it's what we're going at. And 
Wesley took things a little farther because as you read in the King James, Jesus says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And we look at that and go, whoa, what's this perfect stuff? Now, John Wesley wrote a really cool book called Christian Perfection. And, and, and Wesley said, you know, and, and I have to, I have to kind of go, with this. we can't, we certainly, we cannot do this on our own. This is all about the Spirit doing it through us. But Wesley said, if Jesus told you to go do something that was not possible to do, even without the help of the Spirit, then that would mean Jesus is tricking you. And we know that Jesus isn't going to do that, right? Because Jesus is not going to lie to us. Therefore, this is our goal. Now, the Amplified Bible, which I really enjoy, the Amplified Bible is a great study tool. And if you ever are, are looking for a tool like that, you know, we've got copies in the library to look at. The Amplified Bible takes these words that are nuanced and, and, and blows them up. So this same passage says, you therefore must be perfect. And what does perfect mean? Growing into complete maturity of godliness and mind and character, having reached the proper height of virtue and integrity. That's what he's shooting for. Be, it's, you know, it's like the army says, be all you can be. Be all that God intends for you to be. And these are the questions that people were asking John Wesley about these societies. How do we do this? This sounds really, I have no idea how to even approach this. How do I go about this? And, and even what is it that we're talking about, you know? So what are we talking about in terms of being perfect, in terms of, of, of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbors yourself? Well, it's talking about the stuff that we do. That's easy on the surface, right? How do I behave? What are the things that I'm doing? But Jesus was never just talking about the surface. <laughs> what am I doing, right? That's what the Pharisees were all about. What am I doing? Jesus was talking about and how does that affect either you, yourself, or someone else, right? So what's the effect of what you do, right? So so remember when Jesus talked to the Pharisees about how how they would hold back the money that they had set aside to give to the temple while their parents starved. And he's like, really? Is that what you're supposed to be doing? Give your tithe to God while your parents starve? Didn't we say something about honoring your father and your mother, right? So what's the effect of what you do? But it's not just what I do and how it affects somebody, it's what made me want to do that in the first place? What made me want to go do those things that had some effect? So this is kind of like in sales training, they teach us to ask the questions, why? Well, why? Well, why? Well, why? Until you can finally get to the root of, of what your customer is trying to solve. You know, I do technical sales. I design technical systems. And it's like, well, what is it you're trying to accomplish? And what is it really that you're trying to accomplish so that we can get down to that? So it's, why did I go do these things? But also, what was my frame of mind? What was my attitude that led me to want to do something? Am I, am I living in a world where my general attitude is, the world's out to get me and I'm going to get what's mine? Or am I living in an attitude that says, everything I experience is a blessing from God? Or somewhere in between. And that big attitude that leads me to, to be motivated to interact with people in a way that causes me to do things that have an effect, right? That's what both Jesus and John Wesley were talking about as they began to form, as Wesley began to form, what he called his his rules for membership that we now call the three general rules of the United Methodist Church. And, and we boil these down by saying, do no harm, do good, stay in love with God. Now, so last time we kind of talked about how we got here. And this time we're going to talk about the hard one. Do no harm. That's hard. That's hard to figure out. It's hard to figure out what does that mean. And and while 
I think that both John Wesley and Jesus would intend for it to be hard. They don't intend for it to be paralyzing, but we can let it be that. So there's what we're trying to avoid. The other two, do good and then stay in love with God, we'll talk about next week. But this week we're going to talk about what does it mean when we say do no harm. So so that that core of do no harm, well, I guess this is, this is, what do y'all think of that? What would that mean? What would that mean to you to do no harm? Well, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Things come to mind like don't take advantage of people, right? Things come to mind like, you know, don't beat your wife, right? Things like, easy things, easy things into that do no harm. Yes, live up to your word. So, so, I, and I think that, that the hard part is where we take it that, what are the things that I do? What's the effect that they have? Why did I do them in the first place? And what's my attitude in my life that leads me to want to do things that I then do that have an effect? That's how we get to this do no harm, right? It's a big topic, and, and there are so many things that, that could be a part of it. Now, John Wesley, in his inimitable style, doesn't just say, do no harm. He has a list. And these are really how he described what does it mean to do no harm within the context of those folks who are coming to join these Methodist societies. And this is part of the discipline of the Methodist Church and, and, and part of what those going forward for ordination are asked. Is this what you're doing? Is this what you're aspiring to? So Wesley says, first, do no harm. By avoiding evil of every kind, especially that which is most generally practiced, such as, and he has a long list, and we're going to look at some of these, taking the name of God in vain, the profaning the day of the Lord, either by doing ordinary work therein, or by buying or selling. Okay? Drunkenness. Buying and selling spiritous liquors, or drinking them, unless in cases of extreme necessity. Slaveholding, buying and selling slaves. Wesley was one of the most ardent early abolitionists. He was one of the ones who really was pushing William Wilberforce to, to move towards abolition of slavery throughout, throughout the, the British Empire. And, and one of the very last letters that he wrote was a letter to Wilberforce encouraging him in, in the anti-slavery movement. Fighting, quarreling, brawling, brother going to law with brother, returning evil for evil, or railing for railing, the using of many words, and buying or selling. Right? And this is straight spiritual, I mean, scriptural rather, uh, about, you know, work it out amongst yourselves, don't go to court. <clears throat> buying and selling of goods that have not paid the duty. The giving or taking of things on usury, unlawful interests. Uncharitable or unprofitable conversation, particularly speaking evil of magistrates or of ministers. <laughs> now, remember, in their world, ministers equals government ministers, not pastors, is who he's talking about, right? <laughs> Doing to others as we would not they should do unto us. Don't do something to somebody else that you wouldn't want them doing to you. Doing what we know is not for the glory of God, such as putting on gold and costly apparel, taking of such diversions as cannot be used in the name of the Lord, singing those songs or reading those books which do not tend to the knowledge or love of God, softness and needless self-indulgence, laying up treasure upon earth. Right? He's like, don't sit back and take it easy. Borrowing without a probability of paying or taking up goods without a probability of paying for them. So this is a long list that he had, and this is just sort of his examples. Right of of what would constitute, from his perspective, 
of mid-1700s of doing harm. First, do no harm, and don't do this sort of a thing. So who's being harmed in these sorts of things? Right. Well, maybe it's myself. Maybe I'm doing something through this list that, that harms myself. Right. Maybe I'm doing something to somebody else that hurts them. Maybe I'm hurting all of God's creation, or a particular piece of God's creation. I think that we probably find John Wesley standing firm on, on don't be dumping junk down the creek. Don't, you know, take care of the earth. Maybe it's God's name and reputation that are being harmed. If I behave badly and people know that, oh, that that's Scott Dixon. Doesn't he teach Sunday school? What's he doing? All those Christians must be like that, and therefore, what good is is the church? And that must mean that this whole Jesus thing is a fraud, right? Think back in the Old Testament. Why was it? Why was it that Moses talked God out of out of whacking the Israelites in the desert? Because it would make God look bad, not because the Israelites were were good. It was it would make you look bad, God, you know. And there's lots of cases like that where where we can do things that would harm God's reputation, and that's every bit as important as whether or not we're harming somebody else. How are these? How how is somebody being harmed? Well, this is where this whole do no harm begins to to get difficult and the rubber is going to meet the road. Maybe it's by me doing something. Maybe I'm harming somebody by me going out and doing something. Maybe I'm harming somebody by me not doing somebody, right? The Levite and the priest and the Good Samaritan certainly weren't helping the guy on the side of the road. Their inaction led to him lying there a lot longer. Maybe it's a group that I'm a part of. Maybe I'm a part of some organization that, that is, is doing something. Maybe it's the company that I work for. I work for Larry Ellison, right? So I have to struggle with this every day. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a mean guy. Well, he's not a mean guy. He's just <laughs> intense and kind of self-centered and, yeah. But, uh, so, so maybe it's, it's the group that you're a part of. But maybe it's also the way that the society that we live within operates. None of these gives us a pass, right? That's a big piece of all of this, is that none of this gives you a pass. Just because it's a big challenge doesn't mean that it's a challenge that I can step back from. Think about Wesley and the slavery. That's just the way things are done. Did that stop him? What about the, 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 the children who were working in the, in the factories in the mines? Did that stop him from pushing the, the Methodist societies from helping them or the people in the prisons? Right? That social change is a big part of do no harm. Right? It's not just about helping, it's making the hurt stop. It's like, what's a doctor's first question? Do no harm. And, and all of that is so big, right? It's so big that we can just be overwhelmed and end up, you know, kind of quivering in the corner because I can't do anything. Anything I do is going to feel like it's going to hurt somebody. Either I'm going to do something or I'm not going to do something. And, and, and the effect two and three layers down the line, you know, think about, about some of the Buddhist monks who, who every time they take a breath, Ask for forgiveness for having killed all of the microbes that were in that pot, that breath of air because they're destroying life. And yeah, they destroyed life. And how does that fit into this? You know, how does that fit into the scheme? But but Paul tells us, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with one another. Do all that you can through the power of the Spirit, through the power of Jesus. But there's only so much that you're going to get to be able to do you're not necessarily going to go and solve every one of the world's problems. We're going to pick up bread and take it from Panera to North Fulton, and we're going to help the people around us, but that doesn't necessarily, in doing that, make sure that everyone in North Korea has food this week. Some things 
required getting more of us together and, and all of us banding together as Christians. So this whole do no harm really can paralyze us. But that was absolutely not what John Wesley was about. He was about motivating you to action, not to inaction. He was about making you think about where you're going to be when you get where you're going. To do things on purpose. It's about living on purpose. It's about being purposeful in what we choose to do and how we choose to interact with each other and with what we choose not to do. It's about thinking about what's the direct effect of something that I do and then the indirect effect as it ricochets off the wall and comes back around. And it's from from this being paralyzed by, oh, oh I, I don't want to do any harm, so I'm just going to sit here in the corner, to moving out and taking that do no harm into to being God's hands and feet in the community and in our world so that we can we can be active in doing things that lead away from harm. So let's look at some of these. He, he said drunkenness, buying and selling spiritus liquors or drinking them unless in cases of extreme necessity. Well, what's the harm in going out and having a beer? Yeah, that's probably not a big deal. But but you look at what are the costs of the things that he's talking about. And you look at the second level effect. Certainly, you know, drunk drivers. How about that big old wreck that was last week out on, on 285? There was seven cars and six of them were drunk. And one was some guy walking across the interstate. I'm sure he wasn't sober. You don't do that sober. Right, yeah, exactly. So, so there's a huge cost involved. What's the risk? What's the harm involved? Well, yeah, I'm going to get on the road and do something. But then look at the rest of the things that go around it. How much is the, the, of domestic violence is tied to alcohol and alcohol abuse? How much of, of chronic poverty is tied to alcohol abuse? How much of, of children not being able to realize their potential because they're in a home that's pressed down because of chronic poverty because of alcohol abuse? Right? How much of their grandchildren still feeling the effects of an abusive father two generations back, and that's how their father was raised, and therefore he's going to smack them around too. Right? So it's, what are the effects? How can I do no harm now? And what are the effects of this going down the line? Right? So so things are big, and and having concern and living out that that love your neighbor as yourself right now has effects further down the line. Slaveholding. Buying and selling of slaves. Old news. Not my problem, right? Not my problem. Except for the fact that there's still... So, the last alter your life for the for the youth, the focus around that was slaveholding in the world today. And that there's some 30 million slaves in the world today. Sometimes these slaves are places like, you know, Asia. Asia's a big place for slavery. Oh man, another daughter. I don't want another daughter. Shall I kill her or sell her? Right? I'm not doing that. That's not, that's kind of not my issue. But notice that we're consumers of the slavery, right? So, and in my buying and selling choices, am I promoting folks who can, who participate in that? Am I, am I, am I purchasing things that are likely to have been built by slave labor? There's a really cool site, and I'll show you in a second, that, that was it. I'll show it to you in a minute. Um, but as you look at the slavery, you know, even here in the U.S., there are people held in slavery. Now, in one of the classes where we were talking about this, we got off into this long tangent about, about mm-hmm. underemployment and feeling trapped. That's not what I'm talking about. Yes, that's bad, but that's a whole different thing. I'm talking about for real slavery. I have bought you, and every last bit of you is, is under control by me. And if you look at me funny and I'm tired of you, I can kill you. I have complete control over your life. You have no freedom. You do not have the option 
try to work yourself out of that desperate situation, you're stuck, right? That's what slavery is about. The thing that's so amazing is that as we look at slavery in the world today, how people have been so devalued. Do y'all know how much a slave cost right around the time of the Civil War? A good a good field hand could be two thousand. A lot of them are going for twelve hundred, fifteen hundred. Okay. Do you know how much somebody got paid? My great great grandfather at about that time was making seven hundred and fifty dollars a year, and a slave cost fifteen hundred to two thousand. That's two years of pay, right? By and large, slaves today are going for under a hundred bucks, and that's in today's money. Two thousand dollars of hundred and fifty years ago money. You'd expect that to be a bigger number. Not what you got in your pocket, and you're going to, you know, go for a nice dinner out. So folks have become so devalued. Part of this doing harm is, is it devalues the value of people, God's creation, right? What industries do you think end up being in slavery? Certainly, we've seen things in the paper about sex slavery and trafficking, trafficking of, of people as a part of that. But the other part is agriculture. A huge piece is agriculture in the U.S. Immigrants who've come in as field hands... Are, have all of their, their belongings and their papers and everything taken by someone who brings them and they're placed in essentially slavery. They can't get away and they're, they're, they have no identity. And so, so sorts of things like this, they go on. And how, how can I avoid that? How can I live in a, how can I do things that help to avoid that? There's a great website, slaveryfootprint.org that kind of goes through and asks you questions about, well, do you do this? Do that. Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you eat avocados? Do you have an iPhone? Right? And and at the end of the day, it will say, "Here's how many slaves probably participated in your lifestyle, right?" And it's 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 shocking, right? That here we are. We think, well, slavery. We we finished that. We we had a big deal about that a while back, you know. And that's that. But it's not over. So so even these things that feel like John Wesley was talking about concepts that are old, they're they're still around, and they're still about valuing people, valuing people. As the image of God. God created us in God's image. God created every single one of us in God's image. And therefore we all have that value. And it certainly is is not our place to place another person into slavery. <laughs> Buying or selling goods that have not paid the duty. This isn't just about pay your taxes. Certainly Jesus said give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But in Wesley's time, there was a big tax burden in England, as well as the colonies, right? So this is sort of pre-revolutionary times. And a huge black market existed to get around it, right? And that black market was really what he was talking about. So why do we care about that? Well, you know, we look at stuff and go down, go to New York and you see all the street vendors and you see all the, the, the Chinese ripoffs of things. You know, I do not think that Arnold was in any Star Wars movie. Never happened. Snooby, Polly stations. No, no, no. These are all, you know, the bad ripoffs that you see. And you think, oh, that's funny. But then you look at stuff like the people selling knockoff clothes. So, yeah, well, well, who makes those knockoff clothes? The slaves, right? That's often the sort of folks who are put in that production. What about drugs? There's a huge market in counterfeit drugs. You know, Seristim, Avocet, Aricept. These are two big ones. One for dementia, one for AIDS. These are taking advantage and harming the people who are least able to take care of themselves, right? And that's part of that avoiding the duty, avoiding avoiding that path. Giving or taking things on usury, unlawful interest. Well, we all know about payday interest, payday loans, the things in our society that, that can take advantage of people from that point of view. And, and the real question is not, oh, are you running a, a check cashing business? It's 
what are the societal things that lead someone to be in the place where they need to do that? And how can we help to keep that from happening? It's what can, what have I done? What are the groups that I'm a part of done? What has my society done that lead to harm? Using many words in buying or selling. This was a part of that long list about, you know, fighting, going to court and stuff. And you look at that and you go, what is that? That's weird. And it struck me that it was really about being deceptive in how we we sell our goods, right? And, and, and misrepresenting things like, oh, if you want to lose weight, don't have a donut, have a cigarette. They're good for you. Right, this is an old ad, obviously, right? <laughs> but if nobody thought this was good for you then either, certainly not the... 20,679 physicians that they quote, you know, don't mislead one another. Don't, especially when it's going to hurt them. Borrowing without a probability of paying, taking up goods without a probability of paying. In the, in the, you know, the, through the, through the, the 2008, 2009, 2010, we heard lots about strategic foreclosures where people would take a loan and say, this is inconvenient. Not can I pay? Not you know, should I pay, but, oh, this is no longer convenient. Let me just walk away because it's no longer to my best interest to carry out the obligations that I signed up to. So all of these are things that either I can do or I have done or a group that I'm a part of is doing that are are harming somebody. And Paul comes back and says, don't repay evil for evil. Do what you can. As far as it depends upon you, be at peace, live at peace with everyone. And and this this is, do what is in your power. No, I can't go solve the fact that everybody doesn't have a bank account and is being <clears throat> forced into to work that leads them to need the payday lending services that cause them to have to pay a third of their paycheck to get their paycheck. And now all of a sudden, companies are, are starting to pay people with debit cards that cost five bucks to do a transaction. I'm going to say, well, wait a minute, that's weird. Where is that harm? And this whole idea of do no harm is it goes to the motivation. It's not just about what have I done but it backs up. Why did I choose to do this? And what was the attitude of mind that put me in a place to want to do something? Do no harm is about humility. It's about recognizing that I'm not more valuable than another one of God's creatures. I'm not more valuable. We're all created in God's image, and therefore we're all loved by God. So why would I take advantage of you? It's that spirit of humility. It's where I'm not placing myself above you, and I'm not unnaturally placing myself below you, right? We're all God's creatures. And so so it, if I have, maybe not on the macro scale, but on the, on the micro scale, a group of, of individuals that understand that, that I'm living a way that does no harm, that might disarm you. If I come to you one-on-one and you know that the way I'm going to approach you is I'm going to first do no harm. I'm not going to do manipulative things to you. I'm not going to approach our argument that we're in in a way that that is going to to do bad things and i'm going to start from do no harm what does that do to how we interact with each other what does that do if two spouses interact that way how would you react to me if you knew that i began and ended with do no harm that that i didn't want to do things that would cause you harm that i was going to purposely relate to you one-on-one in a way that that treated you as my neighbor. Now, how's that going to change? What is that going to do? Reuben Job talks a lot about that in his three simple rules about how it doesn't, you know, beginning that way doesn't go feed all the people who are starving 5,000 miles away, but it begins by changing the relationships one-on-one. This is like the, the book In His Steps where, where the pastor began 
by trying to live the way Jesus would live in his family and in his church and in his town. And that behavior led the people around him to adopt that approach as well. How would we change? How would we change if we knew that each other? So it's one thing for you to know that I'm approaching you from a do-no-harm perspective. What if I knew through our experience of each other that you're approaching me in that way? How are we going to interact with each other? Remember that John Wesley's notion was this was part of what was expected of members of his classes, of his societies. This is a group of a dozen folks who began their meeting each week with, where have I sinned and I need help with, right? And it wasn't just a general thing. It was like, George, what have you done this week that you really need us to hear about? You know, And and it was accountability. Well, how can I be accountable and open and, and in a loving relationship with somebody that I think is going to take that and use that to stab me in the back as soon as I turn around, right? That's no good. So, so it cultivates that notion of Christian love, which helps us move on the path of sanctification, moved by grace, moved by the work of the Spirit, to that place where Jesus wants us to be. So we start with do no harm. We start with do no harm. And and I think of the three that we're talking about, it's far and away the hardest, right? The implications and the, the paralysis that can come are just incredible, you know? So so my wife is a vegan. She began veganism. That, so that means vegetarian, no meat, no dairy, no wool, no leather. She's consistent. When we were looking for cars some years back, she said, I'd rather not get these particular ones because they have a leather knob on the gear stick and a leather wrap steering wheel. Because, I mean, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's her approach to it. But, and, and she works really hard to, to not do things that, that harm that part of God's creation. There are some folks, though, who will take that further and further and further and further and further to the point, it's like, okay, so where are you going to live? If you take that to its ultimate conclusion, because we got drywall. What holds that paper on that drywall? Glue. What's in that glue? Horse hooves. Yeah. And so what am I going to do? So you can move to paralysis, but you can also move to a place where one-on-one we can learn to do no harm. And out of that, we grow into a group of us together working to do no harm to one another can move out. And, and take that attitude into the world. And there's where John Wesley was talking about. Do no harm is about, well, isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that where Jesus started? That doesn't mean that he was a pushover and that he never, never was forceful, but he treated everyone that he dealt with as, as created in God's image, right? And, and, and a creation of God. And it's how can we move to that? So what do you think? How can we go do this? I don't know how to go do it, but I have a question. Okay. And and it's yeah so so it's like you struggle what is harm and what's not harm and and sometimes you know telling the truth in love is telling the truth in love and it's helping that person to become better doing no harm doesn't mean that you make life comfortable for everybody all the time right but you don't tell the truth in vindictiveness you know you don't say you don't say you're an awful person you say here are the things so it's like it's like the therapy talk right you know. So in therapy, they say, talk about the actions and the effects of the actions rather than attributing the effects to the person. Here are the things that you've been doing and the effects of those. You've not been getting your, your, your quotes done on time, so, so that. 
we've not been able to complete the sales in time, and therefore we've not met our revenue numbers, so I need you too, you know. And But it's it's still, it's hard. It's how do you do hard things that feel like harm? You know, Jesus cleared all those folks out of the temple. That wasn't being a friendly guy. He was saying, get the heck out of here. Y'all are screwing up. And he was pretty forceful about it. But, but, and they probably felt that that was serious harm because it was damaging their livelihood. I think he was looking beyond that big party they were going to have that weekend and, and trying to cultivate that bigger relationship. I think it's hard. I mean, that's why, that's why I wanted to set this one aside separate because how do you do this? You know, I, I know I can, I can be lulled into complete paralysis because I'm just, I can't do anything. And there's, there's the two sides to that paralysis. The one is you're afraid to do anything because it's going to hurt somebody. And you're afraid, you can't figure out how to begin to change. You can't figure out what's the little piece to start doing differently because it's so big. But I think that, that this is the, the, how would you react to me if you knew that I would do no harm? And if I was going to do no harm, how can I do that to one person? I mean, I think the place to start is, is in our homes. How can we begin to interact with each other from that perspective? So that it, it cultivates a trust. What else, y'all? I think this is a hard. I think it's hard. How, how can we struggle with this? How can we make progress? What do we do? How do we go begin to live a life of doing no harm? Well, as you said before, it starts with the right attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think there's the key is, it's, is, is we need to, it's hard to start with attitude, right? So it's kind of like we're all at a place where we're doing things, but the attitude is way back up here. So, so we need to, to start, we have to back into the attitude. We have to back into cultivating an attitude of wanting to do no harm. But to get there, we have to stop doing things that harm so that we can think about what are the effects? What are the downstream effects of what I'm doing so that I can move back into that? It means that we have to look inside ourselves and we have to ask for God's help. We have to look for the movement of the spirit. John Wesley was all about, you're not going to do this. You're not going to do this. The Holy Spirit's going to do this through you, right? You're going to be enabled and moved by the Spirit to live that life that becomes sanctified. That's the Spirit moving. And I think that's the key to it, is that, is that we have to be self-aware enough to know that we have to ask for the Spirit's help. Yeah. I think we have to remember that we're a work in progress. Absolutely. You know, if, if we set up to perfection, yep. forget about it. That'll right. paralyze us. Yep. We're a work in progress, and we are living in a me-first society. Yep. Me first. So, and the accountability, having a group in which you can freely discuss, be it your marital relationship, your family, your covenant group, whatever. So, and reflecting. Yep. You need to reflect and not beat yourself up. Yes, I could have done that better. Yeah. I'll do better. That's a big key. That's a huge key. That's a huge key. It's don't, yeah, and, and it's like, John Wesley talked about, you know, as as a seeker that that you'll stumble and fall, but don't just lie there. Get up, get up, and move forward. You know, in fact, I think I had that as a quote last week. But when he talks about it, and and it's it's yeah, you need that group of people. You probably need a couple of groups of people, right? Because you can't go and talk about your family with your family. You need to talk to somebody. You know, you got to have the different. But but we're all a part of different cliques and groups and organizations and, and, and we have multiple different kinds of accountability groups to help us in different parts of our lives, right? I doubt that I doubt that, you know, Jesus was terribly keen on 
uh, on giving giving the fisherman and his group fishing advice. Well, he did say go toss the net over here, but I mean in terms of of, of you know how to, how to carry out their details of their business, they work amongst themselves for that. But they worked amongst the group of the disciples to become his his steward, his his ambassadors, his apostles. So yeah, it's it's we have to we have to not beat ourselves up, not be paralyzed, and, and take steps, take steps. And it's we're always a work in progress. And that was the thing with with Wesley talked about perfection, and he said, you know, we shouldn't say that oh we can never become perfect. If Jesus said do it, if Jesus said this is my expectation, and he isn't going to help you, then Jesus lied to us, and that's a bad place to start. So that that that's where we can get to, but we're always pulling away. But the Spirit is going to enable us to move towards that. Not tomorrow. And he also said that that he thought that he maybe had met a couple people who had attained perfection, but that anybody who thought they had had not. So, there's where we begin. We begin with do no harm. Next time we'll talk about the second two. Do good, and what does it mean to stay in love with God? But these are the general rules of the Methodist Church, and they continue. They're old. They're the things that Wesley used as... What are the guidelines and, and requirements for membership within his societies? And they ought to be, what are the, the, the criteria for us to think about our relationship with each other and our relationship with, with the body of Christ? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do thank you so much for bringing us together again this morning. We thank you for, for the guidance and the wisdom that we receive from so many of your servants throughout all the so many years that have gone before us. And, and help us to continue to be open to, to what we can learn from them and how we can take the struggles that they've gone through and, and to make those a part of our lives. Help us to, to continually refine our attitudes so that we understand why we do the things that we do. and Help us to live in an attitude of love where we, we first approach your creation with let's do no harm so that we can move forward into doing good to each other and to all of your creation. As, a, as an example of how we continue to stay in love with you. We thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for the time that we have together in this group and the love and the support here. And we ask that you bring us again together in this next week. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. <clears throat> a couple of things you bring to mind and to me of your lesson here. Is this week I was talking with Judy Wright, and she told us told me that uh, we have 94 covenant groups in our church. I I was kind of amazed. I, I know we had a lot, but that's that's quite a few for our church to have 94 groups and the way Wesley started his ministry and stuff. So, and then the other part leads into our scripture for the week is we live by faith, not by sight. And in this chapter here in Second Corinthians, Paul is referring to hope and confidence of eternal life with Christ. And, and his message is, let's, let this hope give your confidence and inspire you to faithful service. And as we've talked here about service and everything, and the request here of picking up the bread for service and doing things like that, again, that's the service that we're called to do, and let's do it as Scott has explained to us. Thank you all, and have a good week.